Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, George Ramsbottom provides context for finishing the breeding season timely to facilitate compact calving next spring, while also considering the cost benefit of milking on late calvers. At the moment, um, uh, Emma Louise, we're hearing mixed enough reports about uh, how the breeding season is going, but this is typical for the time of year. So I'd say it's no better or no worse than other years. Uh, Many herds are reporting non-return rates to me of between 60 and 65%, which would be fairly acceptable for for dairy cows. Occasionally hear about uh, herds having uh, higher than normal number of of late repeats. These are ones that don't cycle at three weeks, but come in maybe at four or five weeks bullying again. But it's not. There aren't that much. There isn't that much of it going on. Just, just a little bit. And you'll, you'll always hear of it, occasionally happening in herds for whatever reason. I don't know. But in general, in summary, things are similar to other years. And I guess if if we put ourselves in in the shoes of a farmer who you know is is breeding now, they're in that spring calving scenario. Um, you know you know, the really the target that we set out in, in the form of a KPI would be that compact breeding, a high submission rate, high conception rate in order to achieve that high six week calving rate and, you know, a target of 90 percent. And we see, you know, a lot of farmers hitting 80 to 90 percent, which is really exceptional performance. Um, you know, there's a high number of those cows will calve in the month of February and the first week or two of March giving the opportunity for 280, 300 day lactations. Um, You know, I guess that's the target and and there's a lot of people achieving that. But I suppose, can you give us some context, George? Where are we at in terms of the national average for six week calving rate? And then I suppose as as a step further from that, how is that reflected in the calving spread that you would observe on the national average dairy farm? Unfortunately, while we have a target of 90% for six-week calving rate, the national average, while increasing, is still running at around 65%. So we still have a long way to go. Now, we've increased the six-week calving rate by 10% in the last decade. So it's improving from, from a combination of management improvements, disease reduction, and genetic improvements. But we still have a long way to go at 65%. And why we obsess with the six-week calving rate is exactly what you said, Emma Louise. It's to try and compact the synchronized calving with the uh, start of the grazing season to keep our costs of production down. Because we know that if we can <clears throat> calve our cows compactly, just as the grass is starting to grow, uh, we'll get the greatest quantity of milk produced off grass, and that will keep our production costs as low as, as, as is possible. But in, in fact, we've, we've a long way to go, unfortunately, yeah. For those earlier calvers, um, you know, in the spring calving scenario where you're going to dry, um, as, you know, sometime in December, so, you know, it, it, it's across a number of weeks, you achieve that 280 to 300 days in milk. For the later calvers, so, you know, there are an element of April, May, June calvers in herds, say I suppose on farms where you are drying in December what are the days in milk being achieved and can you give us I suppose quantify the loss in milk yield milk solids for those particular cows so if if we 
look at a February calver and talk of her producing, for example, six and a half thousand liters for a cow that calves in, for example, mid-May. So three months later, by the 15th of December of the six and a half thousand liter equivalent, she's about 20 percent short of that. So she's she'll only have produced around five thousand three hundred liters by the middle of December. OK, and we're already now into into housing time. So if you wanted to fully milk her out to 305 day for a 305 day lactation, you're actually losing out on that cow by about 1200 liters. And with a June calver, it's actually worse. There's about almost 1800 liters left in her. And even the April calver <clears throat> that would normally produce six and a half thousand liters if she calved in February, by the 15th of December, and from the 15th of December until she's dried off, there's still almost 900 liters left to produce from the 15th of December. So those later calvers are really having a, a big impact. Unless we're prepared to milk on through the winter, we're going to forfeit a lot of milk with later calving cows. And, and I suppose the, the thinking process or targets behind all this MLOEs is to calve around 70% of the herd by the end of February, 20% of the herd by the end, more of the herd by the end of March, and the balance in early April, the last 10%. And ideally, I suppose, if we're being honest about it, that's over a 10 or 11 week calving season. So it's there's a big target there to set in terms of achieving compact calving. And, you know, it's it's a big challenge for, for spring calving farmers to achieve those targets. And to talk about that loss in yield, and you've quantified it, you know, 900 litres for the April calver, the average April calver, and up to 1800 litres for the June calver. If you're yes. a farmer in that scenario, can you afford to dry off those cows in December? Well, we'd love to say that if you have um, only a few, say, April, May or June calvers, that you would, it would be nearly as economic for you to dry off the herd as it is to uh, continue milking on. There's not that much left in it. But if you have a poor calving profile and nationally the profile isn't that good, for example, there are 15% of the cows left to calve in April. There are 9% of the cows that in the national herd calving in May and 3% are calving in June. So if you have a kind of a, a long drawn out calving pattern, it can be very difficult not, but to continue milking over the winter to try and recoup some of the milk yield potential that's been lost compared to a herd that's dried off abruptly around the middle of December. There's, there's money in it and you probably can't afford to do it in one year if you have a less than favourable calving pattern. And you've alluded to grass uh, being the driver of the seasonal spring calving system in yes. relation to the the lower cost relative to other feed sources. Correct. If we consider milking on into December, January, you know, the, the first thing we think of is feed costs. And yeah. I, I, I guess, you know, could you quantify that for that scenario? What is costing yeah. you to feed those animals? Well, if we compare a February and a May calving cow producing the same amount of milk, uh, twice as much silage will be fed, and we're talking about good quality silage now, will be fed to the May calver compared to the February calver, and 60% more meal will be fed to the May calver compared to the February calver to get the exact same milk out of it, out of her. And in money term, monetary terms, the minimum this is going to cost is about €130 Euro extra per per May calver compared to a February calver. So you can see the, the impact that's been felt on just on forage and feed costs alone 
not to mention the the cost of turning the parlor on for the 365 days to get the bit of milk out of that cow through the winter. And and you mentioned, you know, the the parlor costs are an additional consideration. What else do we need to consider when milking on through the winter? Yeah, so there's there's about five or six different areas of consideration when we're looking at whether it'll justify us or not to milk the cows through the winter. Well, the first one, obviously, a basic one is labour availability. Who's going to be there to milk the cows twice a day, 365 days of the year to get this milk out of them? If it's just a lone operator, one person working on their own on the farm, and say they're a married uh, person, be it male or female, who's doing the work, well, the spouse is probably not going to be that excited about you being out of the house twice on Christmas Day, even if you go to once a day milking on Christmas Day. The second thing that'll determine whether it's worthwhile doing or not is the number of cows you're talking about. So obviously, if you have a very spread out calving pattern and a lot of April, May and June calvers, it's more worthwhile for a larger number of cows being milked through than it is for a smaller number of cows being milked through. It may not justify it, even if you have a number of May calvers, if the number is actually very small. Then the third consideration, uh, Emma Louise, is around cell count, somatic cell count. Invariably, cell count tends to rise over the winter. So if cell count is already, say, uh, on the wrong side of, of 200,000 coming into, say, September, October, November time, uh, almost invariably will creep upwards uh, in a herd that's been milked across the winter and may result in penalties being incurred. So this may put a, a further pressure on the overwinter milking. Silage quality is, is another consideration. So for every 5% reduction in DMD, uh, we're talking about a one kilo of extra meal being fed. So all very, very quickly in herds of cows that are being fed on poor quality silage, the economics are going in the wrong direction um, straight away. And I suppose the other consideration then has to do with accommodation. So if, if there isn't suitable uh, high quality housing available for the cows that are being milked indoors over the winter, well, you're going to be challenged in terms of mastitis and TBC um, and keeping those sort of uh, quality criteria down and it may not be worthwhile trying to milk on over the winter. And I guess like fundamentally, you know, there are a lot of considerations and, and by and large, we really do just think of the feed cost. Um, you know, you mentioned the labour aspect of things and my argument would be the break that the farmer needs. Um, you know, the... While things do slow down at this time of year, you know, first cut is done, um, you know, the intensive uh, part of the early breeding season is complete. You know, there's still a lot of boxes to tick and people are turning their attention to maybe the maintenance that they let slide over the last few months. So while things do get quieter, you know, there's still that element of, as you say, milking twice a day and being on the farm and, and the decision and management around uh, lactating cows. You know, how important is it for dairy farmers to take a little bit of time, um, you know, and, and slow down the pace of their working day in kind of December, January time? It's kind of incalculable what uh, a break from milking, uh, the benefits that are achieved from, from a break from milking. So those 30 or 40 days that the farmer has uh, with his or her uh, family or just to get a, a physical break from the whole thing, maybe to go on a holiday or something like that, get a few days off somewhere, is you really can't put a monetary value on it. And it's amazing that after a month's break or a six weeks break from milking over that kind of a 
the dark days of around Christmas. It's amazing how refreshed people are and how, how much they're looking forward to the calving and resuming milking and back into the routine again. And it does, but I can't put a, I can't put a figure on it either from a from a mental perspective or from a financial perspective of the value of that break. It's it's hugely, hugely important, Emma Louise. And I suppose just a side note on the um I guess the calving season that has a lower peak. So for farmers who are in the scenario where, you know, they're they're reaching 70, 75 percent six week calving rate. There is a personal preference in some scenarios that you don't hit that 90 percent. And it may be deliberate on some farms. Um, but by the, by the same token, you know, it is just not recommended, I guess, to have those May and June calvers in the system, you know, you might not necessarily aim to for the 90% six week calving rate, but I guess the length of the calving season is is the other aspect. And it's just, I guess, those cows that are constantly creeping into, you know, May and June, it's it's just, I guess they are a problem and they are losing a, a lot of a lot of milk and money on the farm. If, if you think about it, um, sometimes we hear stories about you know, is it, are we going to be under too much pressure with uh, a very compact calving period? But what's not um, considered in, in those situations is the, the benefits that are there by, you know, focusing on calving f- uh, for, a, you know, a tight for, the, for February and March principally, and then a kind of a break, a month's break or nearly a month's break between the end of calving and the start of breeding, just to get like, another little break and you can switch from one system into the other and the, the other problem you have is um, that where there are where there's a drawn out calving pattern with cows calving and breeding starting, the, the late born calves really farmers will s- struggle to to breed cows and rear calves at the same time. So there is there is that um, the kind of the added benefit that's there by being able to focus on a compact calving and ca- and uh, switching completely from uh, calving cows having the break and then going to breeding. Again, that's kind of another unquantifiable benefit that's there, and it's more than more than overcomes the the additional uh, pressure that's on during the calving season. It's it's more of a benefit than than people perceive, and it's well well worthwhile doing. And and let's talk about the the, the, the I suppose the impact of what we're doing right now, on what we're going to be doing next spring. Um, I suppose firstly, George, like, can you recommend like what is you know, the, I suppose, the standard breeding season length that, that you would like to see on a farm? Yeah. So so what we'd like to see on farms, and we're being ambitious here, or I'm being ambitious, is a 10 or 11 week maximum breeding, maximum calving season. So an 11 week calving season will reflect itself in a 10 week breeding season. That's a tight time frame. Remember that a cow bred on the 1st of July this year, as a repeat cow probably, she won't actually calve until around the 11th of April next year. So by the time this podcast is, is going out, Emma Louise, we're already talking about April calving cows. In an ideal scenario, we'd like to see our unplanned empty rate being less than 7% of the total herd. But to achieve that, we have to achieve you know, uh, fairly stringent targets. You know, Practically all or all of the heifers a maiden heifer submitted in the first, probably in the first 10 days, really, to give them two chances of being bred in the first month of the breeding season. We're talking about you know, submitting 90% plus of the cows in the first three weeks of the breeding season and all of the cows in the first 
six weeks of the breeding season. So th these are ambitious targets, but they're there for a purpose. And I suppose if, if people have a very drawn out calving pattern, the first step might be to consider stopping breeding uh, towards the end of uh, towards the end of April, stopping calving towards the end of April for next year. And that means removing the bull from the herd in or around the 20th of July. And you're tightening up the tail end of your cows. That will confine calving to April. And then take 10 days off it for a couple of years until you really tighten things up. And if you, even if you have an unfavorable calving pattern and can't afford to dry cows off completely this winter and will milk on, you're, you're, going to, you're going to tighten up things. And the purchase of a small number of in-calf, high-quality heifers calving in February to boost up the proportion calving next February, uh, along with your own complement of heifers, will gradually improve the situation and the calving pattern on your farm and get you back into the zone of compact uh, calving, maximizing the amount of uh, meal or maximizing the amount of grass in the diet and re removing the need to be feeding and feeding calves and breeding cows at the same time, calving, feeding and breeding at the same time. You're trying to tighten that up the whole time. I think that, as, that um, I suppose, idea that you mentioned of breeding for 10 weeks is a very interesting concept. And, you know, in the past, you would have seen, you know, it would have been very standard to have maybe a 16 week breeding season. But given that, you know, I suppose, well, I, I say, you know, we're in a no quota environment and, I, you know, I guess that's not so much the case for everybody. But, you know, people have had the freedom to let uh, their herds express their genetic potential. And, you know, you, you allude to the improvements we've observed in the last decade and that's a result of management. Um, you know, farmers are really getting on top of the fertility. You talk about the reduction in disease and also the genetics. But I think there's another interesting factor and not to complicate it, but I think because farmers are in the situation where the majority of cows are calved at the start of April, you know, they are able to shift their attention to completing a really good three to four week pre-breeding um, period of heat detection and observing cows and identifying cows with problems which can be rectified. And I actually think you could nearly, um, you know, in a hidden way, add that to your breeding season. And I actually think that's actually we're displacing a prolonged breeding season with that earlier practices and earlier management on farms. What you're finding, Emma Louise, is you're finding that Remember this gap I talked about between the end of calving and the start of breeding? That gap is a great opportunity to kind of uh, tighten up and clear the decks in terms of finding problem cows that need to be treated, getting in their area, getting the interventions done and having them submitted as soon as you can into the start of the breeding season. And there's, there's huge benefits to be achieved by doing that. As you say, George, um, cows that are being bred in and around today are going to calve on the 10th of April. Um, I suppose, you know, a, a final question for you. If farmers are unsure and they're assuming cows are in calf, should they get the vet or their scanner in uh, today, tomorrow to, to scan those cows and check, are they in calf? If not, there's one last chance to give them a go. In the scenario where 
um, we've had a you know a, a high quality calving season with very compact calving and things are going well. Um, the the benefits for that are probably aren't massive, where that'll pay re- rewards. Emily Louise is in herds where it has been a drawn out calving pattern. Maybe there's a stock bull has been used, or they're not great on the records, and they're not quite sure, and having a long a good history of achieving high levels of fertility. And in those sort of herds, there, there is certainly a benefit. And it's a, going on a 10-day treatment program for those anestrous cows would probably sort a lot of them out when they're confirmed not in calf. So there is a chance now, if we're only going to knock May off or the middle of May off the calving season next year, there'll be two opportunities between now and around the end of July to get those cows in calf. If they're scanned now, then they're treated with, on a 10-day treatment regime if they need it. And then they're, they'll have two chances to get them bred. So go for it. And the the final thing, George, the AI stops or we remove the bull and, you know, one of your, your best cows in inverted commas is, yeah. is bulling. Do you go back in with the straw? The, the hard answer to that, Emma Louise, is the farmer says to you, my best cow uh, has just come bull and what will I do? Well, if she's coming this late, she's not your best cow anymore. So... Um, the best you could do with her is that she's two choices. One is a career change out of dairying, and the other is she gets a beef straw and she's putting calf uh, to a short gestation high DVI beef bull for um, to breed a beef calf over, out of her next year. But she's she's not your best cow anymore, Emma Louise. That's great. Thank you, George. Thanks, Emma Louise. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to George Ramsbottom for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.